Hey, so I'm about to go with our youth on the uh, wilderness trail. We're going to be out in the wilderness for a week. And I thought, you know, um, it's kind of appropriate that I need to film a, uh, today's sermon in particular on the day that I'm uh, leaving to go with the youth. Because our story for today, in the last installment of our You Asked For It series, is the story of Abraham. And if you're familiar with it, you know that God approaches and calls Abraham and sends him out, like sends him out into the wilderness on this journey. Um, we're in the middle of the You Asked For It series, and if this is your first time uh, in a while uh, hearing a sermon, then uh, you might not know that we're in the middle of this series. Back in the spring, we, we put the question out there to the congregation for a number of weeks, if you could hear any sermon, one sermon on any topic or any scripture, what would it be? And so the five-week sermon series uh, were those responses that kind of floated to the top. And so this is the last one. And interestingly enough, uh, today's topic is the lectionary. Many of you said, hey, you preach a lot of uh, sermons in series about different topics and things. Uh, I would love to hear a sermon on the lectionary. Some of you said, wouldn't it be great if we read the lectionary text every Sunday morning? Or wouldn't it be great if we had a sermon series on the lectionary? So a, a lot of uh, lectionary responses, um, the answers that you gave. And so today is a lectionary sermon. And I know that some of you might have heard that word, or you might even be new to it altogether and have no idea what it is. So this is the lectionary. Uh, the lectionary actually has some history. And back in the med medieval times, the Jewish communities... Um, they would have kind of a, a select readings that they would read from the Torah and from the prophets, um, kind of a, uh, in, in a cycle uh, that they would read in the synagogue. And probably dates back to Jesus' time, or at least there was some kind of systematic way that in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, uh, the scriptures would be read uh, from the scrolls. And they would, would read a, passion, a passage of, of the, the Torah, say, for that day. Um, then the next week in the synagogue, the rabbi would, uh, or, or the president of the synagogue would read from the next and so on. And so probably the early Christians, who were Jewish, um, maintained a similar kind of rhythm of these are our sacred texts and we're going to read them. Uh, well, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church... Uh, they did a lot of uh, liturgical reform, and, and so after Vatican II, there was uh, the lectionary, which has been revised and revisited and, and morphed a little bit uh, from Vatican II until the present. But essentially, the, the lectionary as we have it today is this three-year cycle of readings from the Bible. Um, there could be a lectionary text for each day of the week, myprayasyougo.org. Uh, app that I use oftentimes for prayer. It's a Jesuit, a Catholic Jesuit um, uh, resource. And so every single day, um, someone reads the scripture passage that's in the lectionary, this three-year cycle for the day. Um, every Sunday, there are four passages of scripture that are designated for that Sunday. Again, it's a three-year cycle, and there it's A, B, C. A is the, you know, and it's based on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then the Gospel of John. It's interspersed throughout that calendar year. It's based on the Christian calendar thematically. So at the beginning of the Christian year, and which is Advent, uh, the lectionary will have texts relating to Jesus' life, um, and particularly his birth, and, and so on. So there's an Old Testament reading each week, 
Uh, there is a psalm, there's a reading from the epistles or the letters that we find in the New Testament, and then there's a gospel lesson. So, uh, I kind of felt excited about preaching a lectionary sermon today because, you know, uh, these sermons have been a little bit challenging. How do I forgive someone who's really uh, wounded me badly? Uh, what do we do with unanswered prayer? What about the problem of evil? What about creation evolution? And I thought, you know, this is going to be a cheesecake sermon. I get to go to the lectionary and probably get some psalm or passage on love or you should be kind to your neighbor or something like that. Well, I opened up the lectionary to July the 2nd, 2023, and the Old Testament lesson was the text that we read for today. God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I'm like, sheesh, you got to be kidding me. And I almost thought, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to do something completely different. But then I remembered something that my preaching professor, Fred Craddock, said um, in my very first preaching class as he taught me about the lectionary. He says, one important thing about lectionary preaching is that you don't preach the same thing week after week after week. It gives you and the congregation a steady diet of the whole Bible so that we don't just gravitate to easy things or the things that we like. So like I'm not always preaching sermons from the Gospel of Luke, even though Luke is one of my favorite books of the Bible. So in the spirit of what I think, one of the reasons why the lectionary exists, uh, just uh, went with it, <laughs> landing on our passage from Genesis chapter 22. It's actually one of the most demanding <laughs> and challenging uh, theological text in the Bible. Like, at the heart of it, we begin to question God's character. Like, who is this God who would command someone to sacrifice their child? Like, I have been taught my whole life that God is a God of love. In fact, my whole life journey, I have experienced in the, in the, the hidden depths uh, those deepest places of my heart and my soul. Uh, I've experienced this God of love who has not only affirmed me uh, as God's child, but has also redeemed me and saved me and transformed me in this context uh, of love. So where is that love in this story? Well, I think it always helps to know the backstory. And so with you... Go to Genesis chapter 12. I mean, Genesis 1 through 11, there's a lot of the epic stories from creation to the flood, that humanity is, is fallen and broken. In Genesis chapter 12, we begin to see the unfolding of God's plan to rescue and bless humanity. And God does that through this relationship with a guy named Abram and his wife Sarah. He later, uh, his name is changed to Abraham. And in this story, there are some certain things we can know about God. Um, God encounters Abraham, and God calls Abraham. And, and what we learn is, is that God is a God of promise. And so when God calls to Abraham, um, God promises Abraham, and it's, and it's in, in Genesis 12, um, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Uh, you're going to have 
so many kids, descendants, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. Embedded in this promise is, uh, I'm going to be God to you. I'm going to bless you. But what's beautiful about God's plan is that God's choosing and calling of Abram and Abram's family that doesn't yet exist is that it's through them and their relationships with the rest of the world that the rest of the world will be rescued and that the rest of the world uh, will be blessed. And so, you know, uh, God makes this promise to Abraham and it's just this beautiful thing. It's blessing. But here's an important thing for us to remember. Throughout the scriptures, God never promises that it's going to be easy because it's not ever easy. I mean, Jesus himself said when he was uh, sending out his disciples, he said, I'm sending you out as like lambs to the wolves. It's going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be challenges at every turn. Not only physical challenges, but spiritual challenges, emotional challenges. Like, uh, it's not easy. But consistently, even though God doesn't say uh, it's going to be easy, he says, I will be God to you. I will be yours, God says, and, and you will be mine, and I, I will be with you. God says things like, I will never forsake you. Uh, Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel is, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the interesting thing about Abram's story, uh, which leads up to our, our current uh, troubling text, is that God promises Abram a child, a baby, when Abram is 75 years old. And I'm sure he's got to be thinking, well, it's about time. Like, I'm running out of time would, would certainly be something that we would be thinking. We would even be to the point where it's not possible. So surely he was in that place too. So a promise that's kind of hard to believe. Well, um, as the story unfolds, we, we, there's, a, there's a lot of journeying going on um, before this baby finally comes. There's a lot of patience on Abraham's part, on Sarah's part. There's questioning, there's doubting. Those are things that you and I know about. Um, Abram is 100 years old before he starts changing diapers. But imagine that glorious day. They name Isaac, they, you know, it's, laughter is the name. Uh, the joy that comes because God's um, long-awaited promise has, has finally been fulfilled, you know. And so we get to our text. And I think it's good for us to know that once we get to our text in, in uh, Genesis 22, where God commands this thing, sacrifice your son, your only son Isaac, um, that they've been hanging out for a while. Like God and Abraham, um, they've been on this journey together. So from Abraham's perspective, Abraham certainly feels like he knows and understands who God is knows and understands God's character, and that Abraham clearly trusts God because he says yes uh, to this really radical uh, command of, of sacrifice. Um, if, you think about, if you think about Abraham's life, it's really been a life of sacrifice on his part from the very beginning. Like when God called Abraham, called him by name, and said, go, I want you to go uh, to a place that I'll show you. So like Abram doesn't even know where he's going. Uh, God says go, and he picks up his tent, and he goes. He leaves home, and home was probably really sweet. Um, 
So, so in, a, in a sense, the sacrifice Abraham might be making is uh, giving up a life of security. Um, we don't know that that life was necessarily easy. Life is hard and there's hard work, but like, he would have had stuff. Um, he would have had his family, and he strikes off uh, on his own. So it's this commitment to the unknown, which is also maybe a commitment to the possibility of uh, a life of poverty. I mean, God promises stuff, like you're, you're going to be blessed, you're going to have possessions, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have all these things, but it was a promise. And so Abraham's life has been this acting on faith. And when we read his whole story, we know that it's, uh, uh, that it's not perfect, um, but he believed the Lord that his descendants would be as the stars. Uh, and then Isaac comes. Well, Walter Brueggemann wrote um, a, a great commentary on the book of Genesis, and he says, this narrative, our story, leads to a new disclosure of God. At the beginning, God is the tester. At the end, God is the provider. So tester and provider are kind of what frame this story. And I think what we struggle with is this idea that God is a God who tests. There are the stories of testing in the Bible. Right out of the gate with Adam and Eve, there is this uh, testing of the tree, uh, the story of uh, being faithful, choosing God's way or, or not. Even G the story of Jesus, his ministry begins, he's immediately gone out into the wilderness where he's tempted, he's tested, he has decisions to make and choices to make. And I think testing and calling, I think are, at least in my life experience, are closely related. So I remember God breaking into my 18-year-old world and calling me into the ministry. I've shared this story in, uh, probably a number of times in the six years that I've been your pastor. But I was miserable. Like it's, The calling to be a, a pastor sucked the joy completely out of my life. I became so miserable. It's the last thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to be an architect. And yet I was at this crossroads then. I knew that God was God. I knew that God was real. I had this amazing, dramatic experience. And now God is calling me to this awful thing, to, to be a pastor in the church. And it was a test for me. Am I going to say yes to God's call, or am I going to go my own way? Um, there was another time uh, in, in life, in my, my married life with Chan, where we were tested. Um, and it, a very similar thing, um, that we had this strong sense that God was calling her to quit her job as a Delta flight attendant. I was a brand new pastor. We were, we were poor. We had very little money. I could tell you lots of poor stories. You could probably tell me a lot of yours. But her job, she was the breadwinner. Like she made the money that enabled us to, to make it month by month and, and provide for our family. But it was clear um, that her job with Delta Airlines was not what God wanted. And um, so it was a test for us. Are we going to say yes to God or are we going to trust to our, our own ways? Uh, it happened again in our lives when we felt the call uh, to become missionaries. Uh, there was a lot of fog in those days, but it was clear God was sending us. Um, and um, it was a calling. It was like a revelation of what God wants. Um, but it was also this, this challenging, sometimes agonizing uh, experience of God putting something out there. Well, it's hard to understand this one, though, isn't it? Like, I can tell you my stories of feeling tested by God or... Uh, call to a difficult place, but for God to call Abraham to sacrifice his son, who's no baby, he's a kid, he's carrying the wood, he knows what's going on. There's, uh, as we have it recorded, there's, uh, 
not complete conversation, a little, a little cryptic, mysterious. Maybe Abraham doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe Abraham really still thinks uh, that, that Isaac is going to come out of this alive. Uh, Isaac has his questions as, I don't know, is he 12, 13, 14? Is that, a kid like that's going to have those questions. Where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice, Daddy? Now, I don't know that we can completely understand it or make sense of it. I mean, God is God, and God's ways are what we're consistently trying to, to, to discern. I was reading The Bible Project. That's a resource I recommend to you, thebibleproject.com. Uh, George Thompson and I use it in our confirmation class regularly, just really good videos about the Bible. Um, they shared something that I had, never, I had never really thought about before as it relates to this story, that, that this story, like what God is doing with Abram or Abraham could be a prophetic reenactment because God does that sort of thing. God, God uh, approaches the prophets and has them act out some message that God wants them to do. Like, for example, um, God approaches the, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 20, uh, it says, At that time the Lord had spoken to Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your loins and take your sandals off your feet. And he had done so, walking naked and barefoot. God tells Isaiah to get naked and to walk around. And so, <laughs> Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years, as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Ethiopia. And, and on it goes about uh, the meaning of his prophet acting out this prophecy. The same with the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 1. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to Hosea and says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Uh, it's craziness. But God moves in that way with the prophets, and so they're saying, what if God is moving that way uh, with Abraham? So they say God asks Abraham to play the part of God in the sacrifice of his own son. God asks Abraham to reenact the redemption that God would bring to the world, to us, through God's son. God's only son, Jesus. So that it's possible it's a prophetic reenactment that points to Jesus. It points to this table. And so what happens at the end of this story is that we come to know that God is a God of provision. God provides. There's a ram in the thicket. Isaac is no longer the sacrifice. I have experienced God's provision throughout my life in the challenge to become a pastor and the misery that I was feeling, an answer, yes, brought joy and so much fulfillment in life on this journey. Uh, an answer to, of, of yes for Chan to quit her job with Delta Airlines, money started coming in the mail out of nowhere. Somebody gives us a free car. There's food boxes showing up at the, at the office door. All of it mysteriously all of it reaffirming in our lives that God sends us on our way, but God doesn't leave us, and God provides for us. We said yes to the mission field and left uh, a, a lot of really important things, only to know that God was with us 
all along the way. And that's the story today. Uh, it's still troubling. It's still hard to understand. Uh, but what we know is that God provides for us. And as we come to this table, uh, we know this to be true. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, and I want to read these uh, few verses as kind of our invitation um, to this table. We celebrate communion today. Uh, Jesus, is, it's his famous sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow brings its own things. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so as we approach this table, we know that sometimes um, we're called to places that might seem like a wilderness place. But we can also know that we're never alone. And that regardless of the ways that we have failed God and shown lack of trust and committed sin, uh, God provides grace, which is the big story of communion. So on the night that uh, Jesus gave himself up for us, uh, he took the bread. Uh, we've got the, the travel bread because we're on the go. And he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat this and do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, the cup of the Passover meal, a story of God's deliverance for God's people. And he raised the cup and he says, uh, this cup is, is um, the covenant, new covenant in my blood. Uh, drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of this, uh, we as God's church uh, do the same. We pray our prayer of confession. We give God our trust and our loyalty. And we trust for God's grace and for God's forgiveness and for God's provision. Let's pray together. Oh God, we confess to you today that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. Uh, we have not kept your law. We have not heard the cry of the needy. We have not been faithful stewards of, of creation. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. 
We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us who are gathered in this sacred space. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine that have been prepared at our tables. We pray that you would make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Make us one with you and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All glory and honor are yours, almighty God, as we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you. And this is the blood of Christ given for you. Amen, and thanks be to God. <clears throat>